How's everybody doing? Good? All right. Perfect. My name's Tyler. I serve as the associate pastor um, here at Bethany. I'm so glad that you all are here this morning. Uh, If you are new here and you're just checking this out, we want to welcome you um, after this. I'd love to chat with you and get to know you and see how we can um, just get to know you and involve you in what we've got going here at Bethany. Um, Before we... Sorry, we already let the kids go, so that's, uh, that's already gone. Um, if you have, I'll just get right to it. If you haven't been with us, we've been uh, going through a series titled Set Free, okay, where we are finding freedom in the most hopeless parts of our lives and also finding freedom in the destructive parts of our lives that we don't even know about or we don't want to admit that we have. And uh, we're almost done with the series, and we're wrapping up by looking at how we can be delivered from evil, right? So we're going to be delivered from evil, the power, the presence of evil in our lives. That's what we want to do this morning. And so I want to, I just want to pray, um, but I want to pray together this morning out loud. I want to pray um, the Lord's Prayer. And if you are able, I'd love for you to stand with me as we read the Lord's Prayer out loud this morning. Okay, let's, let's go for it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You guys can have a seat. There's something about just standing together and proclaiming God's word. It's amazing, right? Also, you can kind of get your daily workout in, get your squats, you know. Um, You'd be amazed at how many calories you burn when you just come to church. It's so great, right? We stand when we worship. We sit during greeting, which you shouldn't, but we do, right? Um, You you stand when you get to worshiping again. Then you sit when you do offering and... um, you stand when I tell you to stand. You sit when I tell you to sit. I, I want to see how many times I can get y'all to stand and sit throughout this service. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that, but that'd be funny. Um, so, so we just read, "Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." So, what our goal is this morning is to identify a specific type of evil that we are delivered from. And when you are delivered from something, you're delivered to something else. Okay? We are delivered from evil. We are delivered to something else. And you may be surprised at how we are look or what we are looking at is qualified as an evil in our lives because um, we don't typically think of it that way. We're looking at idolatry. Okay? Idolatry. And before we get further, I want to just kind of come clean this morning. Um, uh, the, a lot of the structure and, and some of the content that I'm using this morning uh, is, is not from me, okay? This is uh, from a sermon I heard from Matt Chandler. And so before you think, wow, this is an amazing sermon. Tyler's such an amazing pastor. I'm not, okay? I can just read. So I just needed a little bit of help on this one, all right? So, so we know that idols are bad, but are they necessarily evil? Yes, they are. In fact, I would say that they are the most evil, They're the most deceiving, the most corrupt, and the most defiling things that we can have 
in our lives. And I'm not making this up. I want to look at the Bible. I want to look at what the Bible says about our idolatry and the root of our idolatry so, so that we can, one, gain a biblical definition of idolatry, and then two, identify the types of idolatry in our lives, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Let's define it, and then let's expose it in our lives so we can do something about it, okay? Um, and if you've been any, at, at church at all, if you have any church background, you may know this passage or know about it. Um, it's a long passage, but that's okay. It's helpful to read the whole thing. So let's go to Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 17. Oh, 17. Okay. Yeah, we're going to do 17. Um, let's get going. All right, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven, that is heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son <clears throat> or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, your God, has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkeys, or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay, so we just read the Ten Commandments, okay? So um, we, this is regarded as like one of the most important pieces of religious literature in the entire world. And, and you may be thinking, I see it talks a little bit of idolatry, about idolatry for a moment, but then it goes off, right? And uh, you may be thinking like, what does this have to do with idolatry? And that's a great question. Uh, Martin Luther... One of the, the fathers of the Protestant Reformation wrote this. On, he, he wrote the treatise on uh, good works. He writes this. Now, this is the work of the first commandment. This is what the first commandment is all about, which it commands this. Thou shalt have no other gods, which means since I am alone God, thou shalt place all thy confidence. You should place all of your confidence, all of your trust, and all of your faith on me alone, and no one else. And this faith, this faithfulness, and this confidence deep in the heart is the fulfilling of the first commandment. Without this, there is no other work that is able to satisfy this command. And as this commandment is the very first, 
highest and best from which all the other proceed in which they exist and by which they are directed and measured. So also it's work that is the faith or confidence in God's favor at times is the very first. It is the highest. It is the best from which all others must proceed, exist, remain, be directed and be measured. He said that because the first commandment deals with idolatry, the rest of the commands can only be broken if you break the first. So we can come to the conclusion that if you could steal, if you dishonor your parents, if you lie about your neighbor, you covet your neighbor's possessions, you have already broken the first commandment. You had already believed that there was something greater, there was something more valuable than God. You're already guilty of idolatry. And so Luther says it is the very first, highest, and best from which all others must proceed, exist, remain, be directed, and measured. We get all of the other commandments wrong because we first get the first one wrong every stinking time. Idolatry then. Okay, so idolatry is the fundamental root of our sin and our problems. There is no evil that is not first influenced by idolatry. We don't sin without first finding our satisfaction and finding our trust in anything outside of God. So to define what an idol is, I want to use what Pastor Tim Keller came up with. He defines it as this. An idol, then, is anything more fundamental than God to our happiness, meaning of life, in our identity. It is making a good thing into an ultimate thing. And that is the crazy thing about our idols, is that more often than not, in our lives, we have good things and we make them ultimate things. They're not bad things, they're good gifts. Instead of taking them for what they are, we've elevated them to be more than they should be, right? When we begin to worship a good thing as an ultimate thing, what, what ends up happening is we disregard our identity in Jesus Christ. And, and we make him this convenient just genie that supplies our needs, that cheers us up when we call on his name. So we choose these little things because they are quick, they're easy, they're accessible, they are satisfying for the moment, but they never Oh, consistently provide satisfaction. And that, that was part one. Um, that idols are anything more fundamental than God to our happiness, our meaning of life, and identity. It is making a good thing into an ultimate thing. That's part one. Uh, there's a part two, but part two is a lot longer, so we're not really halfway, okay? Um, part two is this. Identify the types of idols in our lives, okay? So in other words, I want to just expose the idols that are fabricated into our being. So, so when we talk about idol, idols, we're going to talk about them in two different ways. We're going to talk about them in, uh, as surface idols, as things that we can see that are common, that we can call out in other people that we know of, and then there's source idols. And this is like the, the roots of these idols. What, the, this is just a category that, that goes a little bit deeper. So the surface idols are what you and I tend to be able to see. 
These are the ones that we most struggle with. You can typically identify these idols by thinking the thought, like, when this thing is threatened, I am most likely to go ballistic, okay? I am going to lose it, okay? This is, when this thing is threatened, that's when I react. And so these are the ones that subtly creep into our lifestyle, and we let them just grow like crazy. Um, My yard has gotten to the point this summer where I am, like, so past the point of no return, okay? With the weeds that are growing there, it is just really sad. My weeds are like growing up to my waistline. It looks terrible. It's so bad that my neighbor came by and cut them because he felt bad for me, okay? This is really bad. The good thing is that my neighbor's Tom, um, so he was just doing it to bless me, but it's still like, man, wow, okay, I really needed to do that. Um, <laughs> But much like our weeds in our yards, our surface idols just kind of creep in and then they just shoot up in the blink of an eye. We don't notice them. And you're thinking, man, I should, I should do something about that. Maybe my neighbor will cut them. I don't know. Um, <laughs> probably won't, <laughs> unless your neighbor's Tom. <laughs> They're probably not going to cut them. Um, let, let me give you some examples. Uh, the first one's this, image idolatry image idolatry. Life only has meaning. Life only has worth if I have a particular kind of look or body image, right? So now let's, let's talk about this one. To be healthy, to be uh, taking care of yourself, that's not a bad thing. Come on, it's, it's really a good thing. It's not a sinful thing. In fact, there is much about in Scripture that, that tells us to be good stewards of our bodies, of our resources, of our blessings, um, it's, it's in there. So there's nothing sinful about wanting to be healthy and beautiful. It just makes a lousy Savior. It makes a lousy God for you. And the second one is work idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I am highly productive and if I'm getting a lot done, right? Uh, the Bible has a ton of positive things to say about work. It does, about productivity of the creation mandate of cultivating and using the resources that God has given us. It's not anti these things. It's just saying if you make it ultimate, if you make your identity built on you being able to get things done, you become a slave to those things. And you're worshiping at the altar of work. It makes a lousy Savior. It makes a lousy God. Third one's achievement idolatry. Life only has meaning, and I only have worth if I am recognized for my accomplishments, if I'm excelling in my career. Or materialism idolatry. Life only has meaning, and I only have worth if I have a certain level of wealth, of financial freedom, of comfort, and very nice things. Could be religion idolatry. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I adhere to my religion's moral codes and accomplish its activities and and do all the right things and say all the right things and pray all the right prayers. Or individual idolatry. This is that my life doesn't have meaning and I don't have worth if this, this person in my life isn't happy with me or if they are happy with me. I, I need this this person to be happy with me. Or maybe it's inner ring idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have a particular social group or a professional group or some other group that lets me in. It could be family. 
I don't have meaning, or if I don't, I don't have worth if my children or my parents aren't happy or happy with me. Or I'm not happy unless my children are successful. Or I'm not happy unless my household is tidy and looks nice. Relationship, idolatry, life only has meaning, and I only have worth if this person or that person is in love with me. Victim. Um, this is kind of newer. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I'm hurting and am I, if I'm in a problem because only then do I feel noble. Only then do I feel worthy of love. And I'm able to deal with guilt. When I'm a victim of that situation, I feel vindicated when I get my way. I may not be the victim, actually, but I want to be. Merit. Life only has meaning, and I only have worth if I can earn or achieve my way to God, if I work my way to heaven's gates. Now, here's why idolatry is so subtle. No one in this room is actually thinking, my life only has value, and I only have worth if I have this kind of body image. We don't actually think those thoughts most of the time. We just live our lives as if they are just how we are, and, and we, that's just how we are, and, and we just don't even think about it. We just say, oh, well, it's just how I am. I'm just a controlling person, you know, or just how I am. I'm just an insecure person. Yeah, that's maybe how you are, but is that how you were meant to be? How is it going for you so far? And more often than not, we see these, these weeds, right? These, these weeds that start growing up in our lives, and we, we drive by them sometimes. We see them grow a little bit more. We think, yeah, this is kind of getting a little out of hand. And so, we, so what do we do? What I do is I take the lawnmower to it, okay? I just run right over it. We cut it all down until it's tidy and it's neat. And, and so the yard looks pretty for the time being, but we all know what happens when we simply just cut the surface off of weeds, right? Within hours, they shoot right back up at an exponential rate, faster than any of the grass around it. So we made the first steps of identifying them, but we didn't follow through with pulling them out, right, with these weeds, completely ripping the weeds out. That's what we need to do. Roots and all out of our lives, which just brings us to our, the, the source idols. These are the roots that we're going to look at that we need to pull out right there, the, the, the meat and potatoes of idolatry. What we're, what we're going to do is walk through four source idols. Some of us uh, are going to find ourselves in one, some of us in two, some of us in three, and God help us, there's going to be some of us that have all four, okay? That's probably me. So um, the, let's just dive right in. The first one is comfort idolatry. Comfort idolatry says, life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have this kind of pleasure experience or a particular quality of life. The person with a comfort idol seeks, well, they seek comfort, right? They, they want privacy. They want lack of stress. They want freedom. What they're willing to pay for this is productivity. They, they don't care about productivity. Just give me comfort. They're more than willing to not be productive at all as long as they can be comfortable, right? Their, their greatest nightmare is stress and demands. 
Worshippers of comfort see other people, even those that are close to them, as a hindrance to their comfort. People have too many problems, they think. They are too weird. I have my own baggage, right? I just, I can't even. And not surprisingly, then, authentic relationships don't come easily to them. So as a result, the person is only invested to the point where they will not sacrifice their comfort which obviously results in shallow relationships. But the truth is that, that deep relationships, not the like, hey, how you doing? I'm fine, you know, whatever, um, kind. But the deep kind require effort. They require us to get in uncomfortable spaces, to be exposed at times for our weaknesses, to be made visible. The one who worships comfort can't have that. It's just too much work. Comfort's... Not a bad thing, though, but comfort makes a lousy Savior. It makes a lousy God. The second one is approval idolatry. Life only has meaning, and I only have worth if I am loved and respected by this person. You want affirmation? You want love? You want relationships? You need somebody in your life right? You don't want space at all. Your greatest nightmare is rejection. Your greatest fear is abandonment. And the people you love, uh, you're afraid of them leaving you or, or you're afraid of them st- to stop caring. You, you feel like your identity is insecure. Other, others often feel smothered by you, right? You're asking them to be what's not humanly possible for them to be, And the thing is, it's not a bad thing to want to be approved of. That's not a negative thing. We've been designed with this desire to be approved of, to be liked, to be appreciated. We have this natural desire to be loved and affirmed. But when we, uh, when we, being approved is our idol. We are ultimately becoming dissatisfied with God's love for us. And then we start seeking love and affirmation from the people around us. Um, people with, a, with a, a worship of approval tend to have the, the, these messy, uncontrolled, unorganized lives because what do they do? They overcommit. They, they'll do whatever anyone asks, and they will, um, they'll constantly be trying to shape their lives and stretch their lives in every direction to get any sliver of approval from everyone that's around them. These type of people usually spread thin. Matt Chandler, he puts it this way. They are they're radically insecure in their identity in Christ, in fear, rejection of people above a biblical fear of God or a hatred of sin. This leads to worry about what others think of them. Often those closest to someone with an approval idol feel smothered by their neediness of the idolater, whose desire to be loved cannot realistically be met by a mere human being. Feeling approved and loved is not a bad thing, but it is not an ultimate thing. Third one is control idolatry. Control idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm able to get control over my life in the area of fill in the blank. See, the control worshiper wants self-discipline. They want certainty. They want standards. Um, Here's what happens when we worship control. This This is what happens. We seek to control our environment 
and then discover that we can't. So we worry, which then forces us to seek to control our environment even more, which only helps us to see we can't control it again. And so we, gr- we have greater worry, which makes us try to control it even more, which lets us down, which leads us to worry, which then makes us want to control it even more. We get stuck in this cycle where anxiety and fear devour us. So we clamp down even tighter, only creating more anxiety, more fear, and more worry. This is the God that the control worshiper serves. It enslaves them. The the person with a control idol is driven to control every aspect of their lives. But not just their lives, the lives of the people around them. The mantra of a true control worshiper is, if I want it done right, I'm just going to do it myself. And so we see this and how they handle their money. We see this in how they handle the people around them. We see this in how they micromanage every area of their life. In their parenting, they're usually helicopter parents, right? There's just no peace. There's no rest. There's always something to be afraid of. There's con- this is control. While a controlled life is a good thing, when it is in our control, it's a bad thing. The last one I want to look at is power idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. So we would define this as success, as winning, as influence. Someone who worships power would say things like, oh, I'll bear it. I'll, I'll do it. I, I can handle it. I've, I've got it. If I can make more of me, if it can build me up, give me more influence, more power, I'll do it. So the greatest nightmare of somebody who worships power is humiliation. It's not just about winning, it's about not losing, okay? They are often use people around them to further their agenda. And so why would they do that? Because the person who worships power uses people to increase their influence, to increase their power. And so the relationship with you is built on what you can bring to them to most benefit their agenda and further their cause. The problem emotion for those that are worshiping power is always anger. They're almost always typically an angry person, a short-tempered person. Anything, that, anything in that gets in their way of succeeding is an annoyance. They might fill their lives with things that give them a sense of victory. A lot of times it's like gambling They fill their lives with something that they can win at. It could be, I don't know, sleeping around. They know that they can say the right words, that they can put on the right persona to get someone to sleep with them. And then it's on to the next person, right? The person that worships power doesn't have the patience to parent children. It's either my way or not at all. Power is not a bad thing. We, we need power to walk in faith. But the power that we seek in the world makes a lousy God. And so this process of exposing our idols, it's difficult. Sometimes it can feel like a doctor that's cleaning out a wound. Sometimes there's dirt in the wound. There's, um, they need to use some soap and water. There's tools that they need to use to 
get some of it out, and it hurts. All of it hurts in order to make sure all of it is out, but we have to do it. So, so what we have to do, and myself included this morning, is expose the idols that we have in our lives. And if you um, can see them and you want to expose them, we've, we've taken the step in the right direction. What I want to do is right now, or, or during our response time here in a moment, is I want you to write down what it is. On your worksheet, it says, I worship blank. I want you to just write down, I worship comfort, or I worship approval, I worship control, or I worship power. Um, if you write down all four, join the club, okay? This, that is me. We've got to come face to face with these things in order to be delivered from them. And when we have exposed the idols of our hearts and we call them out, here's the catcher. We can't do anything about them, okay? The only way to displace these idols in our lives is not by human effort, but by divine action and surrender to that divine action. The only way to remove these idols from your heart is not by greater effort and to not be all about comfort or all about power, but remove these idols from your heart is by Jesus reigning and ruling in your life in, in such a way that he does something about them, that he deals with them. That is what the cross is about. When we bring these things to the cross, it means that Jesus delivers us from that bondage to that thing and delivers us into freedom in him. Because everything I've talked about this morning would be so useless if I didn't bring us to the place of repentance in our hearts, of bringing these things to the foot of the cross. And oh, my friend, Jesus Christ is, is infinitely more beautiful. He's infinitely more valuable. He's infinitely more hope-giving and worthy of our affection than whatever it is right now that you have as your Savior. I just want to ask you right now, what is the predominant affection of your heart? Is it to serve and to worship and to please God? Or is it to serve and worship and please yourself or anything else other than God? What is your answer to that when you wake up in the morning? See, when Jesus Christ becomes the predominant affection of your heart, the other things that your heart is giving affection and attention to will be uprooted and replaced. So, so whatever you've been looking to for significance, whatever you've been trusting in to make, some, make you somebody, whoever you've been depending on to make life worth living, look away from that this morning and look to Jesus Christ. And if you need to do that right now, um, I, I want to pray right now with you. The worship team can come up. Um, if you could turn the lights down, um, let's, let's pray right now. Lord, I, I have all of these things that I do all of the time that I know breaks your heart. And I trust in these things to bring me the joy and life that only you promise. 
I worship so many things that are not you. It's myself, my job, my, my future, my reputation, my image. I have all of these things that are robbing me of your presence, Lord Jesus. Deliver me from those evil desires. Deliver me from these silly idols. Lord, I need you. I need you alone. And Lord, I ask that you deliver me into your mighty, beautiful, and, and awesome presence. It is your name that answers when I call. There's just no other name but yours, Jesus. Lord, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I stand on that truth this morning. Lord, help me walk in that truth. It is in your mighty name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Um, if you need any prayer or anything, I'll be up here. Um, let's, let's worship him this morning. He is so worthy of it. I love you, Lord.